A word of warning. This podcast may contain themes that some listeners might find distressing. Not always, but sometimes. However, this podcast will definitely contain strong language. Therefore, if neither of these things sound appealing, it's probably not the podcast for you then, is it? Welcome to the Nicest Ramblings podcast with me, the Nicest Psychologist, and once again, Pierre Azam, welcome back. Thank you. It's um, nice to be I say here. welcome back. <laughs> yeah, it is. I say welcome <laughs> back because um, this is the second time we've, we're uh, attempting this conversation because the, the the last time you and I spoke, which was a fantastic conversation, um, the technology failed and um, your half of the recording just disappeared and it was unrecoverable and um, I'm really sad about that because it was <laughs> it was a great well I'm sad because it was a great conversation it was lost but also at the same job. time it's given it's given me the opportunity to to see you once again and to catch up and so so yeah, welcome likewise. back thank you it's wonderful to be here <laughs> um so Pierre uh, you and I um sort of made contact through uh, social media, Instagram more specifically, um, because you are the founder of uh, Braver Man uh, or the Braver That's Man right. Project. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah, Braver yeah. Man. Um, and I thought, you know, just to contextualize for the listeners, do you want to just tell us a little bit about um, who you are? I guess your your sort of clinical background and I guess what Braver Man uh, is about. Absolutely. Uh, so, uh, my background is as a psychiatrist and I, uh, practiced for, uh, about 15 years before making a transition into professional coaching, specializing in working with men at times of big life transition. Uh, my apologies. That's okay. Uh, as, yeah, I I had two things running around on the screen at the same time. So uh, <laughs> I'm hopeful that our technology is going to work today. Oh, fingers um, crossed. Yeah. Fingers crossed. So I'm gonna I'm gonna re. Uh, I'll start at the beginning again. So my background is as a physician and as a psychiatrist, and I practiced for about 15 years. Uh, before making a transition into professional coaching, working with men at times of major life transition. And actually that, that jump, that professional transition for me started very much with an interest in working with men at times of early fatherhood. And okay. so I've started Braver Man, which is really a platform for both one-on-one -on -one, uh, individual work uh, some group collective work for men, and also a platform on social media for raising awareness to men's mental health uh, with, I think, a bit of a predominance around, uh, or at least a bit of a flavor of uh, speaking to the experiences of new fathers. Okay. And do you still practice as a psychiatrist, or is that something that kind of you've, you've you kind of left behind now and you're focusing mostly on the coaching? Yeah, I've gone full into professional coaching. Uh, okay. And so my, uh, I, I'm not currently practicing clinically, 
uh, though it's always something that I uh, I maintain licensure and certification. It's something that I I very much enjoyed um, and uh, may may return to uh, one okay. day. But I decided very much to go full on uh, in this in this endeavor. Okay, and I suppose that's interesting to me because I guess what what is it about the coaching aspect of things that allows you to be able to do what it is that you're obviously very passionate about and you set this all up that maybe practicing as a clinician and a physician and a psychiatrist sort of limits you from doing yeah you know i I don't know that there's actually a substantial limitation i became interested in professional coaching in part uh actually at a a conference related to the mental health of fathers uh, okay. A large, uh, uh, I, say, I say large, it's a small body of literature, but a growing one, supports the, <laughs> the coaching model as one that is very action-oriented, very mm-hmm. present and future-oriented, okay. and uh, relatively approachable for, uh, for men, particularly for fathers. I, I think one of the things that uh, is most interesting for me about the professional coaching realm is uh, most of the time I'm working with men who don't have a, a diagnosable mental illness, sometimes a, or a diagnosable mental health condition. And in some cases, uh, men have, they may have suffered from depression or anxiety or OCD or other conditions historically, um, but are either seeking treatment uh, elsewhere or have sought treatment and symptoms are under uh, under better control. So it sort of expanded the scope of the potential of my work from just uh, the sort of clinical domain to working with men regardless of diagnostics. And I think what's intrigued me and perhaps what may be most interesting about my own trajectory is that my work as a psychiatrist was very dissimilar to the work that I do now. Okay. Uh, in many ways, I could potentially go back to to practicing within a more traditional realm of mental health care and carry on the sort of um, the tradition of engagement with men that I've started. Uh, but my work as a psychiatrist was actually quite different. It was uh, in the realm of psychosomatic medicine. It was very much uh, working with people who had acute on chronic medical illnesses in the last decade was working alongside a palliative care uh, program. And so it was very much people who faced either chronic illness or life-limiting illness. And a very small portion of that work uh, happened to be in the women's hospital. And so I became interested okay. in, in fathers very much uh, by way of helping obstetrics teams to help moms to withdraw safely from opioids and alcohol. And I became okay. interested in, in that capacity and what services were available to new parents Uh, initially what services were available to new moms and with a long sort of a long-standing history of interest in men's mental health i became very interested in the time of early fatherhood particularly as a time of uh great joy and tremendous meaning for men 
but also as a time of potential risk for mental health conditions. And that's actually what sparked my interest in professional coaching. Um, I'd not heard anything about it before. I went to a, um, a psychological program on uh, working with fathers, learned about professional coaching, happened to come upon a professional coaching program at a local university and, um, and enrolled shortly thereafter in the hopes of complementing my work. Um, and here we are. Uh, about five okay. years later, uh, for me, made a pretty substantial turn uh, into working with men full time. Okay. So there's something that you mentioned about the, I guess, action orientated and present and also future orientated sort of way of working that particularly seems to fit well with men, particularly in, in early fatherhood. I'm going to try, I'm going to make a note of that because I'd like to come back to that towards the end in terms of trying to think about what that looks like. Sure. Um, but I guess one of the things that I'd be interested in hearing about from your perspective is, so you've touched a little bit about how you became interested in it, in, in sort of the, the area of early fatherhood and working with men. But I suppose the, 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 the interesting fact about you and your work is the fact that you yourself are not a father. And That's right. I guess the the reason why I say it's interesting, and it's not because I believe that somebody who isn't a father can't have an interest in, you know, men and and, and fatherhood and things like that. But sure. I guess as I kind of said earlier on when we were just chatting, the reason it sort of the reason that sort of men's mental health and particularly the mental health and difficulties of fatherhood is something that I've become interested in is because I'm kind of in the thick of that and it's just fucking hard. <laughs> yeah. So it's the, you know, so that's yeah. the, so that's the reason that I've kind of become interested in it. Whereas that's obviously not necessarily the sort of trajectory that you've gone down. And I just thought, you know, could you kind of speak to a little bit about, you know, why, why you are interested in sort of early, you know, men's mental health and early fatherhood and, and your sort of passion about that. Yeah. Well, uh, that's a, it's a great question. I think for me, it was a question of, it's a question that I had, uh, really had to grapple with a bit in beginning to work with fathers, my own awareness to my lack of direct personal experience to the joys and challenges of, of fathering. Um, and I think for me, there was a big mental block initially, uh, to entering into this work for that reason. It felt like, um, uh, who am I to, to take up, uh, an interest in father, fathering and fathers when I've never, uh, never experienced it in many ways. It was, a uh, it's sort of unique because, um, uh, because on one hand, it's not usually uh, a barrier to entering into a professional, an area of professional interest and expertise. In many ways, I, I was working for years helping, um, helping individuals with life-limiting illness, uh, not having faced or, and, and various forms of uh, psychiatric illnesses, not having ever faced them myself. 
And, and similarly, as a and similarly yeah. as a forensic psychologist, I'm you know I don't necessarily work in the field because I have myself have a forensic history or have engaged in any kind of offending behavior. Um, so yeah, so uh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's a fair point. Isn't that interesting? But I, I think that there's something to working with fathers in particular that feels unique, and maybe that speaks to the 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 sheer rarity, the lack of uh, focus on men in this important uh, and unique time of a man's life. I became very interested in fatherhood in large part, I think because it serves as this really unique time for redefining uh, what it means for men to be um, to be uh, in certain roles within their families and within their communities. It's often a time of redefining priorities um, and often just a very, very challenging time. And as I became more and more aware to the mental health risk associated or, or the, the, the increase in risk for mental health conditions, associated with early fatherhood, I was both surprised um, and also a bit inspired to turn my effort, particularly a growing interest in working with men uh, toward this particular time. I certainly don't limit my work to to uh, fathers, but I've, uh, I feel uh, quite compelled uh, to help men navigate this time uh, and really help to define themselves and their, their own priorities um, during this time, especially men who are juggling both, as uh, I think all fathers are, men who are juggling the new responsibilities of fatherhood with um, professional uh, career-based responsibilities uh, and also redefining relational, um, the sort of relational connection uh, with a partner, with friends, with other family members. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I think I draw a lot of inspiration from the men with whom I work who are fathers and certainly from family members, my brother in particular, uh, who has now three young kids, one uh, only six months old. Um, and so I get this sort of uh, indirect experience personally, uh, but have this opportunity to to focus my attention on uh, learning more about how to help men in this period. I do think that there's one thing that I didn't anticipate here um, that has actually served as a, uh, it served to my advantage as a non-father. Uh, in many ways, um, I could see having experienced fatherhood, the potential for me to interject with my own advice or my own experience. Yeah, yeah, I okay, I get that, yeah. And so um, in many ways, that means my curiosity about any individual man's experience is uh, put to the fore, and it allows men to sort of uh, then define their own experience without mm -hmm. a fellow dad saying, well, maybe you should try this way or maybe you should try yeah. that way. Uh, it's it's actually been quite so an you don't have that. Yeah, I guess so you don't potentially have that quite natural instinct to um, maybe offer advice or hold 
you know, not intentional judgment, but I guess maybe thoughts about, you know, ways in which to parent or ways in which to feel about parenting or ways in which to cope with parenting. You don't necessarily have that um, initial reflex. Um, okay. Yeah, that that's interesting. That's interesting to think about. Um, so, yeah, so that's quite a fascinating journey then. And you mentioned about the... Um, I'm paraphrasing here and you can correct me if I yeah. haven't used the the right sort of sentence, but I guess there's, there was something about the lack of resource for fathers um, in relation to the available resources for mothers, which is not to say that within these contexts that um, there is often a great deal of resource for mothers, you know, it's quite limited in terms of mental health provision for the experiences of mothers anyway, but Very then true. within, within that, limited provision of mental health resource for for mothers and i think it's fair to say you know i know that you're from the us and i'm from the uk and i'm aware that this is not my area of expertise but i am familiar with the general overall statistics that actually mental health provision for mothers is not it's available and it's much better than it was but it's not necessarily something that is always consistently thought about and i know that sort of you know mothers struggle with um postpartum depression and um those and postpartum psychosis and and those experiences and there's still a lot of um work to be done within that area of making it more um accessible creating more awareness and things like that so but even within the scope of that i guess what you're saying is that you identified that actually the well yeah whatever limited resource there was for mothers there was actually less resource or even less consideration for fathers very much very much i I think you're you're hitting on an important point here there aren't enough resources certainly in north america and I, i i think this is true globally some uh some parts of the world i think have uh led the uh led the mission on raising awareness and increasing services for moms uh, and to some extent for fathers. And much of that, uh, much of the awareness and research tends to come from down under, from Australia and New Zealand, to some extent from the UK. I think uh, uh, North American work is, uh, is lagging a bit. Uh, certainly in the domain of of helping dads. Um, but I, I think I've seen too often, and, you know, if I'm being honest, I, um, I, I think earlier on in my career before gaining some awareness to the nature of um, father's experiences, I think that I also under valued the importance of keeping dad in consideration in the loop in the know around what is happening clinically um under under considering things like screening for new fathers uh, hell, I, if I'm going to be honest, I didn't even know that postpartum depression or anxiety was a thing for fathers until uh, a decade into practice. And so 
Uh, and I think it, I think we yeah. spoke about this last time, didn't we? Is that I didn't we even did. know that it was a I didn't even know that it was a thing until I saw a, a social media post that yeah. said men can experience postpartum depression too, and I was like, "What? That's yeah. no, you know, postpartum depression, post birth. That is something that is exclusively, you know, sort of the the women's domain or the birthing partner's domain, you know, to kind right. of consider gender neutral terms in in some respect, but." You know, it was certainly wasn't something that I'd thought about would even remotely be associated or something that could impact um, a, a new a new father. I didn't either. I didn't either. I which I guess just goes to show how you know if you so so social media is great because you find out about new things. <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> I mean, also do. social media, ha- social media has its ex- extreme pitfalls. I'm not, I'm not, you know, oh, it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a whole balance. That, that's um, another, that's another yeah, that's episode a, for us. That's another uh, conversation in and of itself. Um, sure. But yeah, but I guess, but I guess certainly, you know, I guess it just speaks to the idea that actually within the kind of, um, you know, collective, consciousness the zeitgeist of discussions around um mental health in parents um it has it has primarily been sort of uh, thought about um for moms and almost not at all for dads um and again i mean obviously just to contextualize that just because you and i have not heard about it doesn't mean that no one else has heard about it pre-social media (laughs) we're just the ones that we're just the ones that have been slightly ignorant to the whole thing you know there's potentially a whole host of individuals out there that have known about it beforehand and have been flying the flag and the banner for that um oh yeah yeah. very much very much (laughs) but i think it does speak to well, I think it does speak to perhaps the lack of universality around teaching mm-hmm. for mental health professionals. And, you know, I'm um, without aging myself, I, I it's very possible that that has changed. And certainly I think I have found myself in working with um, medical students, uh, working with psychology students um, and working with uh, postgraduate trainees, uh, very much, uh, waving the, the flag of, um, at least awareness around both, the the, uh, the potential wonderful experiences of early fathering and early parenting, and also some of the risks for both parents, for all parents, Mm -hmm. frankly. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, uh, yeah, with that, I think, and I hope very much that newer generations of mental health professionals are not learning about postpartum depression and anxiety on on social uh, media. Social media. That's Fingers my hope. Crossed. Oh my yes. god! If they're still learning about it in, on social media in, in a decade's time, then things have really gone awry, haven't they? Yeah, they really have. Um, and actually, true. I think I think you know I think there is I, I think there is a lot more interest. You know, when I um, when I generated the hype about this upcoming episode, yeah. um, actually, you know, one person got in touch and said that they were doing their dissertation around this particular topic, and you know, yeah. so therefore they were kind of you know looking forward to hearing this discussion. So that's you know, if anything, that's um, indicative of the fact that obviously it is being thought about and is being researched and it is being looked into, which is wonderful. Um, but on that note, could we, you know, could we sort of 
you know, with your knowledge and experience, both both as a psychiatrist and also sort of with your um, knowledge and experience and um, the with the men that you've worked with, could we talk a little bit about sort of you know postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety? Actually, of course, because that's because that's something that even you know when we had our first conversation. Um, or when I had been preparing for our first conversation, I'd just been planning to talk to you exclusively about postpartum depression. And then I think, um, I think you did a, a, a podcast with, um, I forget his name now, Travis Goodman, the th- yes. yeah, Travis Goodman therapy for dads podcast. I listened That's to it and you talked about, you talked about postpartum anxiety and again, yeah. something that I was just like, what, what is this yeah. thing that I have not heard of before? Um, so so yeah um i think it'd be great if we could have a bit of a chat and maybe start with postpartum depression and you know from your experience what's the i guess what's the prevalence firstly of of it you know how how common is it and then i guess you know i already have an awareness of this based on our previous conversation but i think it would be really helpful for you to i guess maybe talk through the 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 differences in how postpartum uh, depression is expressed in men what the differences are between i guess sort of the the more traditional um way in which depression manifests and maybe more sort of the the, the way in when the way in which men kind of present with it sure i'd be happy to um well i, I think to start the the range of prevalences uh has been well Prevalence is ten, generally tended to be reported in a range, but a more recent meta-analysis or study of, of the various studies out there uh, suggests that the rate is about 9%. So about one in 10 men will, or one in nine to t- uh, one to 10, in 10 to 11 men will experience uh, postpartum depression within the first year one in ten men. That's in, that like no, that's, one in ten men. That's oh sorry, one in ten fathers. Yeah, like one in ten fathers. That's right. That's, that's a ridiculous. Lot. I mean, it's huge. Yeah, like I yeah. mean, you know, if you think about how many fathers you actually see often, you know, at school drop-offs, at local clubs, out in the pub, um, at you know, in a football stadium. If you think about the amount of yeah. men who are in a football stadium who have got, you know, who have got children. Um, even if their children are older, but you know, when those children are born, one in 10 of those fathers either are currently experiencing postpartum depression or have experienced postpartum depression. And that's actually quite mind blowing to think about. Yes, it is. It is. It's sort of a, it's so ill discussed relative to that sort of frequency, which is quite amazing. Um, if mom is experiencing postpartum depression, that rate climbs substantially. So it goes from about one in 10 to 11 men to one in two to four men. And so it wow. becomes 25 to 50% of fathers for whom the, uh, for whom uh, mom or who's, I, I think this is either partnered or not partnered, okay. uh, but I'm not sure on exactly the research, whether it it varies based on whether both biological parents are um, 
remain in in the same relationship. But mm-hmm. when mom is suffering from postpartum depression, uh, about 25 to 50 percent of fathers also meet criteria for postpartum okay. depression. Okay. Uh, so it's it's quite remarkable. Um, it's it's very interesting. So we usually think about major depression showing up with two weeks or more of low mood, decreased interest uh, in hobbies, in typical interests, um, changes to sleep and appetite, concentration, energy, um, uh, movement, and hopefulness alongside a slew of other features like um, guilt and feelings of worthlessness. Um, In men, it's sort of interesting because uh, we have a a greater tendency to, um, rather than showing up with explicit experience of sadness, um, men have a greater tendency to report feeling numb almost feeling unable to emote. And so, so a bit uh, of a, a sort of shutting down of emotions, pushing yeah. it down, suppressing it. Okay. So a man may not necessarily show up as uh, re- even realizing that the experience that he's having is one of depression because it may not necessarily feel like sadness. It may feel more like a numbing yeah, so a and, bit more of a dis, uh, like a disconnection or a, disso- a dissociation from the uh, from the stress or something along those lines. That's right. We also have a greater tendency to experience attacks of anger, uh-huh. uh, extreme <laughs> self criticism and indecisiveness, um, and externalizing. Sorry, I was just laughing at the. Sorry, I was laughing at the anger yeah. bit because that's something that absolutely resonates with me in terms of the. Um, um, sort of, yeah, the, the the quite strong, overwhelming anger that I can feel at times um, in relation to sort of the 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 stress and often overwhelm. Um, of Same, um, yeah. Same. Not um, having obviously not having experienced uh, postpartum depression, but very much having experienced recurrent major depression. That is a as a very strong feature. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I've recognized as well, a tendency towards extreme irritability and anger often that's um, ill-directed and I find myself expressing mm-hmm. it at myself. Um, in men who do experience postpartum depression, one of the unique elements as compared to mom's experience is the timeline, uh, okay. which is is really fascinating. Um is increasingly being being tied to months three to six postpartum. So that is the period of for, greatest what's risk. Mom? What's it for mothers? Uh, typically, it's earlier on. It's it's okay. within the first uh, uh, within the first three months. I mean, okay. by the book, uh, as you're probably aware, uh, at least within the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, which is used here in the United States and in uh, in Canada, um, although I, I I think that uh, probably for good reason, uh, our northern neighbors are likely using the ICD a little more. Uh, <laughs> Maybe, but, yeah. uh, but the the requirement in the DSM is that the symptoms of depression 
must show up within the first four weeks postpartum. Okay. And we know actually the period of risk, both for mothers and fathers, for all parents, is uh, extends into the first year. So my hope is very much that the DSM will adjust that. I don't know if it will. Yeah, I was going to um, say my, my next one of my questions are going to be, do you think that that will be included in it? Oh, but uh, yeah, maybe not. Because again, it feels very, you know, if, unless, unless anybody who's sorting out the DSM has social media, they probably don't know about postpartum depression. They in They might not know. <laughs> they might not know. And also you read the, so, the criteria for, for depression with peripartum onset. And there is no mention of gender in the... So naturally, if you're just reading this, the inclination might be mm-hmm. that the birthing parent alone is going to be at risk. There is no mention yeah. of uh, the fact that it might impact um, all parents. Mm-hmm. But uh, but that first year is the period of greatest risk. And for dads, um, there appears to be a slight lag into months three to six. And there are some okay. theories about why that might be. Um, I, I don't know that anyone has confirmed the exact reason. Some speculate um, that it has to do with parental leaves and the fact yeah. that months three to six may be, period, may be a period for fathers of uh, a greater adjustment, a greater responsibility in parenting. Um, Mm-hmm. And of course, there are some contributors. Yeah, I suppose, biological that, I suppose contributors. that makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, very much. I was, was going to say, I suppose that makes sense. Like you know, if if sort of the, the the earlier months are a lot more you know reliant on the connection between baby and and mom or birthing birthing partner, um, the the level of responsibility um, is is a lot more with mom, and I guess that's potentially where and why. Um, mothers experience the postpartum depression a lot earlier on because there is that overwhelm and there is that sort of emotional um yeah heightened emotionality and a lot a lot more of those sort of i guess judgments about self and capability and um you know those things that are tied to postpartum depression whereas fathers probably don't have to not worry about it but it's you know less relevant i suppose to them very earlier on whereas maybe it's a a bit more just you know just thinking about my own experience you know a lot of my a lot of what I was concentrating on was sort of making sure that my partner and um you know my children were you know safe and comfortable and I would look after the the house and do the cooking and things like that so that was kind of my responsibility and I kind of you know knew what I had to do and that kind of just fit in so yeah. Um, whereas, obviously, you know, later on when babies become more mobile and a bit more independent and slightly less reliant on on mom, then you do take a a bit more in of an active role in the actual parenting, I suppose. Um, so yeah, yeah, that would that would fit. Again, like you say, there's not necessarily any um, anything to confirm that one way or the other. But as a as a theory and a hypothesis, I suppose it sounds fairly logical perhaps i would say there are two other potential theories that are worth worthy of Mm -hmm. mention um one is not very commonly spoken about but as uh, something that i that i suspect is actually more more contributory to this time lapse um 
the the one that has been reported a fair bit is um, the biological contributor. So the biological contributors associated with postpartum depression. So it's not simply a change to sleep or a change to um, to personal responsibility or to relational satisfaction um, or intimacy associated with having a child. There are uh, there are obviously. Um, I say, obviously, this is not obvious. It's not something that we talk about. There are hormonal biological changes that happen for fathers during pregnancy and in the postpartum period that also increase the risk for postpartum depression and anxiety. Uh, Drop in testosterone, elevation in estrogen, uh, fluctuations in cortisol levels, elevation in oxytocin. All of these things are designed to increase baby bonding, but they're also... Uh, they also increase risk for depression and anxiety. And so uh, it's important to acknowledge them because for many fathers, there's a the tendency to, to assume that if I'm experiencing depression, then I'm doing something wrong, mm-hmm. um, that I'm not going about it in the right way, which I think and is I guess- a, an unfortunate masculine stigma. But in, in fatherhood in particular, they're very clear endocrinological, um, endocrinological, uh, and, um, and biological contributors to, to this risk. Yeah. And I guess, again, so that also makes a lot of sense because I suppose, you know, thinking about from a biological perspective, you know, it's more understood and more acknowledged and maybe a bit more obvious that the, a, a mother would go through those hormonal changes because yeah you know they're the ones involved in the process of gestation and their body undergoes the, the changes and then uh, undergoes additional hormonal changes in preparation for the birth and then there's a whole flood of hormones off post birth and to produce the the the, the you know the, uh, breast milk and all those kind of stuff so again so thinking about the yeah. The more obvious fact that them being the, the the one to give birth, that they would be the one to undergo hormonal changes. But actually, you're quite right. You know, uh, the fathers would also again. So it's interesting you mentioned the oxytocin and the um, the the cortisol. So oxytocin yeah. is the love hormone. So that's your that's your bonding. So you know when you um, when you sort of engage in physical touch and hugging and all that kind of stuff. So things that are recommended that you do with um, young children in order to increase those, um, that bond that's yeah. So that would make sense. And again, is not something that's immediately thought about in relation to, to fathers. Um, but again, also, yeah, the, the, the cortisol. So the, the adrenaline and, and which is obviously brought on by the stresses I'm assuming of parenthood um, that. That yeah, so again, so thinking about my yeah. early experiences, that happens a lot. So there's a lot of, you know, the the, the cuddling and the affection and the the love and all that kind of stuff. And then there's the, the, the stresses, not just of what the children do, but about sort of their their health and you know your your health and your partner's health and work and all that kind of stuff. So you're quite right, actually. In those first months, your body and your nervous system is just going up and down, up and down, up and down. Yeah, most certainly. Most certainly. And that, 
you know, uh, the exact contribute, the sort of exact contribution, tough to tell, obviously, as, com- yeah, as yeah. A- no, alongside no, other, other contributors, but, um, but it's very much part of the picture. I think the final one that I'll, I'll mention here and the one that I think maybe least often, least frequently discussed is uh, fathers naturally will experience and report um, focusing of attention on providing and protecting mm-hmm. early on. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're also quite good at masking. Okay. Um, and unlike the the sort of by the book expectation that depression might last on the order of weeks, we know the average duration of a depressive episode is somewhere between four and twelve months. Okay. My hunch is very much that fathers actually experience depression along the same timeline that mothers do. Um, but the onset is, or the onset of our own awareness, the, um, the time, the delay to um, seeking help, the delay to acknowledging something may be going on, um, I suspect is a lot, a lot greater for, for men mm-hmm. at the time of early parenthood. Um, so, so I suspect there's, there's not just one contribution here. It may be the, the, the matter of, uh, of parental leave. It may be a matter of uh, the body's own hormonal and biological adjustments. I suspect an additional contributor here is that men will actually start to experience depressive episodes uh, earlier in the postpartum period, uh, but not be identified as such. And so it may be that men are suffering in silence without realizing that they're depressed. Okay. And I suppose, you know, coming back to what you were talking about in terms of how um, men maybe mask and then maybe go into protective provider kind of um, modes, I can certainly, again, you know, I I know I'm using a lot of my experience, but I guess it just kind of matches and it's just helpful for me to think about and maybe anyone else listening might also, um, you know, it might resonate with them as well. But I guess the, the, the masking and the, protector thing so i wonder because you also mentioned something about i guess masculinity traits or ideas of masculinity and i guess do you think that 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 those particular things so the masking would be about suppressing pushing it down denying it not letting on to the fact that things are tough and sort of just you know it's to be seen as weak is not masculine must. And then again, in order to potentially be a provider and a protector and somebody who is looking after the, your family, you can't be seen to be struggling. So, you know, do you think that, and again, I'm very conscious that this might just be your speculation and just kind of your experience, but, you know, do you think that sort of some ideas of masculinity have, have parts to play in this? Very much. Oh, yeah. Very, very much. Um, the while the, while that hasn't necessarily been studied as much in uh, postpartum depression, it's certainly something that's gathered attention in the experience of male depression at large. Okay, and that is uh, that in many ways, 
depression lies in the face of of traditional masculine ideology of maintaining strength and competence and stoicism, invulnerability, uh, power, control, mm-hmm. um, strength. Okay. And for those who've experienced depression, um, the experience is quite antithetical to those sort of traditional masculine norms yeah. uh, and can make the strongest of us feel powerless. Mm. And so for, mm. for many of us, there's a natural tendency, particularly those of us who might feel, who might, uh, who might really hold these traditional masculine norms highly mm-hmm. or might really value them. Um, there's a natural inclination to hide the experience of depression because it yeah. feels um, it feels powerless. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so unfortunately, yes, I, I, I think even there's, there's some evidence based on, uh, studies too, that, uh, we may be under underestimating the prevalence of depression in mm-hmm. men period because of our natural predilection for hiding. Yeah. And I guess, you know, also what you mentioned about how, depression generally manifests somewhat slightly differently to maybe the sort of more traditional um, DSM or even ICD sort of um, criteria of, of what to look in to look, what to look out for. Yeah, that's right. Um, so then, you know, what's, so what's the, I mean, I'm gonna, I was going to say, what's the difference between that and postpartum anxiety? And obviously there's a difference yeah. between depression and yeah, anxiety, sure. but I guess, but I guess what, what, what is, what well, I guess what is postpartum anxiety just generally? Cause again, that's something yeah. that I've not heard about and maybe others aren't um, those, those who are listening maybe aren't familiar with it, but so what is that? And then I guess, how does that sort of manifest and does that look different in men and women again? Yeah, there's a, uh... I know of fewer differences that are studied or reported between um, men's experiences and women's experiences of, of uh, the anxiety itself. Mm -hmm. Um, But postpartum anxiety is sort of, I I think will, will grow in its, uh, in its awareness or um, our awareness will likely grow around postpartum anxiety for both mothers and fathers, for all parents, um, as uh, we study it more. But it is still quite an umbrella term. And so for that reason, the prevalence is less clear. You'll see ranges between 2.5 and 25%. Um, We believe that it's uh, it impacts more than 10% of fathers. Um, it tends to occur most strongly during pregnancy and in the very, very early phases postpartum. Okay. Uh, and uh, as an umbrella term, it's got features of generalized anxiety, which uh, may show up with uh, excessive worry, ruminations, um, uh, a sense of uh, irritability. It shows up with social anxiety, uh, uh, fears, and and anxiety that might present in social situations. And it also shows up with elements of panic. 
Um, okay. For those who may have experienced uh, uh, trauma in the, particularly in the, um, in the, in the delivery room, okay. or um, during the actual pregnancy. So, uh, uh, for parents uh, who may have faced um, um, medical challenges. Uh, either to baby or to the birthing parent, um, the those rates go up, and there can okay. also be features of post traumatic stress. It is still very ill defined, as far as I'm concerned. My okay. everything that I read is um, is sort of this conglomeration of various anxiety features, but what we know is that it's really common, uh, both. Um, uh, it's really common in fatherhood. So about 10, 10% or more, mm-hmm. um, there are more studies that suggest that, it, that the rate of postpartum anxiety is higher than postpartum depression. Um, it's less well reported. Okay. Uh, it tends to show up earlier, um, and tends to mitigate, tends to lessen over time. Whereas okay. with with depression, it sort of shows up a little bit later. Uh, so the and timelines guess, are a little bit different and there's certainly a lot of overlap between the two. Okay. And I suppose what differentiates postpartum anxiety from, I guess, maybe just kind of some general stress that might come from being a parent, because I guess, you know, you talk, so <clears throat> the, the word you use to describe the, the men you work with uh, is uh, men going through transitions and then, you know, parenthood is a transition going from being a non-parent to a parent is a huge life transition that literally no one can prepare you for despite the number of books that you read or the um pre-birth classes that you go to it just it's nothing can actually prepare you for it um so actually going from being a non-parent to a parent is quite a big shift which you know brings with it natural you know just stresses and and adjustments and all that kind of stuff and i guess what what differentiates that that natural process from postpartum anxiety and i guess what are the 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 features that might um sort of pop up for for somebody who who may be experiencing that yeah sure so certainly if uh, a parent were to experience enough criteria uh, to diagnose any of the individual anxiety disorders. Okay. Um, so for example, um, you know, a, a long enough duration of, um, of panic, uh, panic attacks or panic symptoms or generalized anxiety, um, symptoms. But I, I think most of what I've read around postpartum anxiety, at least the budding literature around it, um, would suggest that defining features tend to be more in the degree of distress okay. or impairment that's caused by uh, by that level of anxiety. Um, mm-hmm. And that's sort of a, it's an interesting thing because it's naturally an anxiety inducing <laughs> experience. And mm. so how do we, what yeah. is the barometer? And I don't think that this is an area that I, I'm, it's certainly not an area that I fully um that I feel fully comfortable saying, you know, mm-hmm. this is an appropriate level of anxiety and this is a distressing yeah. or disturbing level of anxiety. I think there's a tremendous amount of subjectivity mm-hmm. in that. Because you absolutely, probably, 
Yeah, because it makes it so hard. Yeah, because absolutely, sort of, you know, the 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 idea of um, maybe what what did you say? Um, Struggles with functionality or ability to. Oh, what did you say? What did you say? No, so it was distress and um, um, like impairment of function. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I guess that's sort of oh, what do I do in this moment, and how do yeah. I, you know, cope or function or what do I do? Again, that's you know that is definitely a feature of, of parenthood where there are times where you're just like, holy shit, I have absolutely no clue yeah. what I'm about to do or what the outcome of this is, or I don't know how to manage the situation. But I guess maybe you know if you're talking about that being quite chronic and persistent and and it being really sort of over, you know, um, overwhelming and really impairing your your function, your functioning, and maybe your ability to um, maybe parent or just carry on your day to day in 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 a in a meaningful way. I suppose maybe that's kind of what you're you're thinking about. Yes, and you know we know that uh, at least in literature around postpartum anxiety for for moms many of the features uh-huh. sort of overlap with um with generalized anxiety in particular um uh, a sense of excessive worry and ruminations uh-huh. tenseness um frustration or irritability um, but also with many of the the sort of physical physiological features that often can show up with anxiety disorders, uh, heart palpitations, body aches, um, headaches, and the like. Um, But it's interesting. I don't know that there may be a a clear diagnostic criteria around the duration, but there's certainly different diagnostic or, or certainly different durations for the anxiety disorders we think generally of six months as Mm -hmm. kind of a as a marker but i i would bet that that duration would be shorter for postpartum anxiety i don't know that's a really great question and i I think (laughs) one that one that uh will lead me to do a little more research perhaps for the next time and also if yeah and i guess if anyone is listening and they are interested in postpartum anxiety there's a potential thesis question or dissertation question for you to have a look at <laughs> but um yeah for sure but yeah because no, we it's know it's so common an interesting question it, yeah mm. it impacts about 20 percent of mothers uh, okay. or at least 20 oh, percent of Jesus, mothers yeah. will will report reported um, yeah. will report excessive uh anxiety excessive worry, um, these physiological features that go above and beyond what might be uh, considered the norm for them. And so there is a lot of subjectivity around this. And I don't Mm. know that there's been absolutely a a great way to sort of objectify it, because it is a conglomeration of various anxiety features and in one, in one sort of umbrella term. Yeah. Okay. No, that's really helpful. Thank you. Um, yeah. I guess, I guess, you know, a lot of questions and obviously, as you as you said, it's a, 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 a newer area of exploration and, and um, research and I guess something being thought about. So um, yeah, yeah, it's just helpful to, to talk about it. Um, 
I guess I'm just conscious of the time and I have just one more question oh, yeah. um, that yeah. I want to, that I want to ask. And it, it's, and I guess it relates to, you know, the, the work that you do. And again, thinking about how you were saying the, the, the coaching model, I guess, fits a little bit more with your work with men and particularly, you know, those who are in early fatherhood thinking about it being action orientated and future um, orientated. And I guess, could you say a little bit more about that? Just, just, you know, just because yeah, I know obviously you're in America and I know that they're potentially sort of, um, you know, UK based people who, who might be listening, but I guess, you know, if you could just give us a bit of a flavor about that, because it might just be something that appeals to somebody or fits with them. Cause again, you know, um, you know, I talk, uh, I have, I've talked a lot about sort of access to, to mental health in relation to being a man and kind of, you know, my view is yeah. that it exists and it's available. It's just more about men taking the opportunity to, you know, go forward. And I absolutely hold the, 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 the idea that maybe therapy isn't for everyone and that might not be something that they wish to explore. So coaching absolutely maybe has its place. Um, so I guess just for anyone listening, um, could you sort of walk us through that a little bit and then, um, yeah, just, just for gen interest yeah. sake. Sure. Sure. I think there's a tremendous amount of overlap between therapy and coaching in terms of developing a long-term relationship in terms of, um, defining goals together. Uh, I think the big areas of difference tend to be, um, that at least in the coaching realm, uh, it's not really designed for, for, uh, diagnostics and treatment. Uh, but certainly there's an element of shoring up strengths and resiliences mm -hmm. around mental wellness, mental fitness. And, uh, that may look like, um, clarity of vision for the future, uh, defining and living by a core set of values that feels uh, really true to who you are as an individual um, rather than sort of a, uh, a um, traditional set of norms that, um, and, and this is a topic around masculinity rather than a traditional uh. set of norms that feels um quite generic and in many cases quite impossible to meet mm -hmm. as traditional norms of masculinity tend to be. Mm -hmm. um, there's often very much a focus on, uh, on identifying and overcoming limiting beliefs, shoring up strengths, and then uh, moving toward a vision in slow, steady action steps. Mm -hmm. uh, alongside a tremendous amount of accountability. Um, okay. and so for, for many men who may not necessarily be facing an acute mental health condition for which, um, uh, psychotherapy or, uh, medications may be indicated, uh, the coaching route, uh, is a really strong opportunity to work with someone either one-to-one -one or in group around mm -hmm. moving toward uh, what is most important to you in your own life and creating essentially the vision for the type of individual, the type of man, the type of father um, you might want to be. 
And I think that sounds great because, you know, I guess the thing, again, I come back to this word that you use, so men in transition. And I think, you know, just the idea of being able to have a space where you can go and maybe process that transition and think about that transition and think about what that transition means to you. And I, I, you know, I really like how you think about aligning the, the, I guess the ideas of fatherhood with values that are important to somebody that don't necessarily um, ascribe to the more sort of traditional masculine roles that might, as you, as we discussed earlier, that might tend towards making men feel less competent, less able, less in control, you know, make them doubt their um, capacity to, be a man you know within the context of a of a um or, or or what being a man looks like now within the context of of being a father and and maybe men who don't necessarily want to sort of stick too rigidly to those um rules i think that sounds yeah. like a i think it sounds like a, a a nice way or place position or space i guess yeah. to to kind of explore that sure and it, it doesn't necessarily throw the baby out with the bathwater either mm-hmm. for many men well, pun very much intended here but uh it uh it there are elements of um of masculine norms that feel um pro-social uh quite adaptive yeah that many men absolutely uh, see strength in and so i think there is mm-hmm. an important to acknowledge too that it um uh that it feels important to to acknowledge and to use those wisely without necessarily uh, issuing them in full. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. It's about how how do we how do we take what feels important to a man and in in how they see themselves as being a man and sort of redefine that with the the new role of being a father. That also leaves them with the space to, you know, experience the full experience i suppose of being a father <laughs> yeah. and all the, the 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 difficulties that come with that without necessarily um that impacting on their on their mental health yeah well said okay thank you so much well thank you no thank you pierre i'm so pleased that we managed to get to the end of this conversation without anything fucking up <laughs> <laughs> i am too i am too i was pretty sure something oh. would fuck up on my end Oh, oh my God! No. That it didn't. So so am I. Um, so I guess just as a final thing, just to I guess just to recap where people can find you, um, and yeah. I guess you know just you know this is your opportunity to kind of just tell people about where to find you, anything that you've got coming up that you know anybody listening to might be interested in. Sure, thank you. Well, uh, probably the best place to find me is uh, on Instagram uh, at braver.man is the handle and what do we got coming up we do have a a a cohort of a men's collective that starts in uh the summer in mid-june uh but it's something that happens uh very much intending to happen at least three times a year uh and so if uh if a man is interested uh and it's beyond summer then uh it will happen again so yeah instagram at braver.man 
Good. So if you're in the if you're in the US and that sounds like something you want to do, get in touch with Pierre. And um, I guess well, you don't have to be oh, in the US. Have... I will say. Oh, do you not? Uh, oh, yeah, right. No. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, there so you go. You're welcome anywhere to in the world, wherever then. you are. Yeah. <laughs> anywhere in the world. <laughs> anywhere okay. in the world is right. <laughs> okay. Um, well, again, thank you very much. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much for your insights. Thank you very much for your knowledge. Um, and uh, I greatly appreciate it. Thank you very much. Um, I'll chat to you soon. All right. Yeah. Thanks, Dan. Bye.